0: My name's Adam Hanover and this is the Boxing Coaches Podcast. We take a look into the craft and the science of boxing coaching, asking the ultimate question, can we do it better? The podcast delves into areas like skill acquisition, sports science, developing effective coaching relationships, reflective practice and challenging the norms and traditions of boxing coaching. All this whilst tackling the nitty-gritty of our day-to-day boxing practice. So if you're a boxing coach, a boxer or a parent or simply interested in learning through sport then square yourself away for 20 to 40 minutes and let's talk boxing. Hi, guys. Welcome to episode number 43 now of the Boxing Coaches Podcast. Uh, I've got a very close friend of mine called Casey Knackman, who is, the, uh, who is a coach at Colchester ABC in Essex. Uh, and today we're going to be talking about autonomy, the autonomous boxer. Uh, how are you doing, Casey? You well?
1: Yeah, good, mate. Thank you.
0: Great stuff. So, um, yeah, so for those people who don't know you, uh, if you'd like to just introduce yourself, you know, your experience in boxing as a boxer and as a coach.
1: So as Adam said, I'm Casey Nachman. Adam and I met a long time ago at Essex University. Uh, I was already a boxer when he met me then. Um, I've I've been always interested in boxing as far back as I can remember, really, which is unusual in a respect because I'm not from one of those boxing families. You know, one of my earliest memories is being given a set of boxing gloves um, and wanting to kind of beat up my dad and play with those. And then when I was eight years old, I was very, very fortunate to live just by the local boxing club. In fact, I could see it from my bedroom window. Um, and when I was eight years old, I went up the boxing club and you had to be 10. You had to be 10 to actually start boxing. Um, and I, I went probably two, maybe three weeks. And then somebody told on me that I was only eight years old. And I got kind of, I always felt that I was banned from that point on. So I took my own boxing gloves that I'd been gifted, my mum and dad bought me a, a punch bag and I kind of trained myself from what I'd seen in like boxing movies like Rocky and things like that for quite a few years.
0: And then later on when I was
1: in my early teens, some friends from the local youth club had gone to the boxing club and they said to me, don't you box? And my, my experience of boxing then was hitting the punch bag. Hitting the punch bag in my garage, and I was like, "Yeah, yeah oh, uh, you know, I like to think of myself as a boxer and whatnot." Uh, so they kind of invited me up to the boxing club, and then from that moment on, I was hooked. Um, I think on the first session, somebody said to me, "Oh, we'll train you guys up for a few months, and then we'll arrange for some boxing matches for you." Um, and the thought of actually being in a proper, proper competitive boxing match was just like unbelievable. That was all I wanted to do. So I think I was. 14 when I started, I had my first bout when I was 14, and then I kind of boxed consistently through to 18 when I started university. Took a bit of a break. I say break, it was a break from competition, just because the local club was quite a while away and it was difficult to train and manage studying study and things like that. But Adam and I met at university, so we trained alongside our good friend, Seamus, who's a kickboxer kickboxer I believe he was on last week Uh, so we trained we kept kind of kept our hand in with the sport I went home a few times in box as well because just when I just when I was ready to leave to university I was kind of getting my break into international boxing and I was lucky enough to go and represent Scotland in the European Championship just before I left Um, and when I went back once or twice I was also given so, I was training at university and then going back up the road on like two, two occasions to box and represent Scotland. Um, I made a little bit of a comeback in my kind of later years of university. Didn't really work out so well. Had to go at the, uh, the APAs and box in the southern counties, but didn't, didn't get past the regional rounds. That. Um, and then once I started my, because I was at university to train to be a PE teacher, um, once I left university, um, I started kind of coaching and training with a view to if I was able to manage the school work and the coaching, then maybe I'd give, maybe I'd give the competing a goal. But as all of you guys are listening to this probably know, it's a lifestyle more than it is just a hobby. So I felt that my experience was probably best used as a coach rather than a, than a boxer. So yeah, that's how things marked out mark there.
0: Sean, it was uh, it was Den wasn't it? In uh, in Fife that you. That's you right. Did. And your coach was um, your coach was who? Uh,
1: Rob Crockett, in in the very early days, I I, I boxed under a few coaches. There was Rob Crockett, there was Davey Milligan. Um, both of them very accomplished amateurs in the time. Uh, I was also friends with Tommy Milligan, the brother of Davy Milligan. He coached me for a bit. Uh, one of the current coaches at Den Archie Fleming. He, boxes with, uh, he boxed with alongside his brother, Matthew Fleming. But Archie Fleming and the uh, nephew of Matthew Fleming, they now coach at the NBA still to this day.
0: Sure. And you had a bit of a, uh, a famous understudy as well in Kevin Anderson, who was underneath you a couple of years younger than you.
1: Yeah, so uh, actually I think I've had the, uh, the accolade of taking Kevin for his very first ever coaching session I was at the I was at the boxing club and I just had my just had my tonsils taking it. Um, so I was just there kinda of milling around and helping out so to speak and Rob says, I'm too busy to coach to these tiny little kids who just rocked up He says, Why don't you take them, Casey? and show them the basics so did the training session. Even funnily enough, so Kevin Kevin is a pro. He went on to to do wonderful things as an amateur and as a pro he won the uh, Commonwealth and British welterweight titles. Um, so, even kind of those, those, like that early session, he was probably the smallest lad out of all these sort of like 10, 9, 10 year olds that showed up that day, smallest lad. But the minute I put my hands up, thinking I was clever, taking him on a little bit of pads without pads, and the minute I put my hands up and he hit the pads just with like the old kind of single layer of foam bag mats the minute it hit my hands, I could tell there was something special there. With him. That, just that, <laughs> that ability to really, really dig, you
0: know. Something and and, really I, and I can to attest to that as well. I remember uh, coming up to Denby Beef and sparring with him. I was, uh, I think I was about 20 years of old, 20 years of age, light heavy. I think I'd just won the novices um, in the Southern counties and felt like the bee's knees. And uh, And I knew that he was, you know, probably had thirty or forty bouts by then and was boxing for his country and doing really well. But I still thought I'm so much bigger than him. So he was only, a, I think, a light welter at the at the time. So I thought no problem. Yeah, about thirty yeah, seconds yeah. into it, he slipped. He slipped. He slips in and throws a left hook to my body, and it's the first time I ever got put down um, with a body shot. And uh, I think he stayed with me for about a week that shot. So uh, yeah, I remember how uh, how accurate and, and and tough he was. So so what about you as a coach, then, Kay? So um, you know, tell us a little bit more about your experience as a coach.
1: So. I, it's funny. I think I was kind of born into being somebody that teaches or coaches whatever it is I'm interested in. It, or, for, for for I mentioned it earlier. I, I, I am a PE teacher, so the minute I learn a skill or a you know a, a new technique in the sport, I'm often trying to teach other people how to do it. And I look I look back on things and you say as soon as I learned how to box, there were these instances where I would be teaching a little group of kids who'd show up to the gym that night or I'd be teaching my friends and my family the things that I'd learned in boxing. So I think actually competing in boxing and teaching other people the skills kind of went hand-in-hand hand with me a bit. I remember being, like, first, again, first few weeks of university, you coming up to me and saying, you know, I've learned the basics in boxing, but I'd like to, I'd like to take it a little bit further. And so, you know, alongside kind of taking over myself, where we Seamus and I were both teaching you, the basics of boxing, and kickboxing. And, um, uh, there were other, there were at times there were other people that trained alongside us. Um, so I think probably at the back of my head, I always knew once once I was going to call it a day on boxing, I was going to move over into a coaching role. Um, when I when I came up to work in, came up to Essex to work in schools, I went to the local club in Chelmsford and. They were they were really nice guys. It was a really really busy club, um, and they said to me, you know, do you want to do you want to compete or do you want to coach? And I said, well, I want to I want to I think I want to compete again. I want to train and get back into shape and see how it goes. But the the pressure of the NQT year as a teacher meant that I was kind of I was coming off the back of being somebody who was
0: breaking through. For- That's a newly newly qualified teacher year, isn't it? NQT, newly, newly qualified teacher.
1: That's right, newly qualified teacher. And uh, you know, I was coming off the back of having boxed at international level, where I felt that you needed to train. You know, I was training six days a week there. Sometimes I was putting two to three training sessions in a day. You know, so when when I kind of went back to being lucky if I could get to the boxing club twice a week, and then some weeks when I was just too busy, I was only boxing, I was only training once a week. I quickly resigned to the fact that I I just don't think, I don't think I'm ever going to be prepared to go into the ring and perform at the level that I know I really should be performing at. Essentially, that's what happened towards the end of my career there anyway. Boxing was, I took a couple of boxing matches where I wasn't really getting on weight. I was boxing at a weight heavier than I would like to have been at. And, you know, I hadn't had the right sort of sparring and I hadn't had the right sort of preparation and I thought, well, I don't really want to fade away like that. So, you know, I'll transfer my transfer my talents into coaching. So, I did my level one coaching badge Ch- badge for Chelmsford. Mm-hmm. And I, co- I coached for them for a while, um, but I, again, I just I felt that I was a bit of a loose link in the team because I was there coaching some nights, and then other nights I was just too busy with schoolwork. Uh, and they had they had quite a robust setup anyway, so. Um, I, I kind of stepped away from that club for maybe a season or two seasons, and then obviously the wife and I we, we got married and we had kids and we moved to Colchester. Um, bit of a similar sort of story. I went to Colchester and when I when I, when I started started there, I was mostly just interested in training but not competing. But they, they, it was quite expensive. We were housed in a martial arts. And they said but would you be interested in easing the burden of your training fees by coaching the juniors? And so I had jumped at the opportunity there. We, we didn't have any competitive juniors at the time, but we had a lot of kids coming up through the ranks ready to be carded. And I suppose it was kind of my my job to make sure they were ready and get them carded. Uh, then we kind of come what we did there was we combined the junior and the senior sessions. So it meant that the head coach, there, Carl, Carl Barton, he and I were then coached alongside each other um, in what was kind of joint junior and senior sessions. Uh, that carried on for a few years, and in 2012, we bought our own premises, uh, set up our own club, and we pretty much do things our way now. So that's that. So I've been.
0: Coach- okay, you've you got your own, you've got your own gym now with uh, the right. with the other coaches like Carl, etc. And uh, you have kind of got your own, you kind of carte blanche to to approach things in the in the way that you want to. So, how, how would you actually say your coaching approach is, case?
1: Um, it's, it's, I would say it's definitely changed a lot through the years, and that's you know that's a good thing. I would hope, really, it's, it's evolved, and, and you know you learn from. I mean, this is if I'm going to be saying my my official date in starting to coach with Colchester full time. Is now, you know, is, is near on 15, 15 years ago. I've done my level one and level two coaching awards. I would have gone level three. Carl is a level three. In fact, might be a level four. Um, but it's uh, trying to balance that with family commitments and stuff like that is, you know, it's quite a challenge. So um, I would say in those kind of early days, I was Carl was a lot about technique. It was a lot about skill. Uh, and I was more interested in making sure that the boxers are physically prepared, physically fit for the contest that they have. And I think in your early days of boxing, once you, I mean, certainly that's, I think that's the way that I was, I was coached. It was almost taken for granted. We went up the boxing club and we worked hard on our fitness, but I, I rarely recall being taken aside and taught a combination other than 1-2 hook or 1-2 up backhand on, on the pads, you know. But I rarely yeah. recall being taken aside and shown each of the separate defences. I rarely remember doing drills where I was taught, you know, block, block the jab, double <laughs> double double jab counter, or anything like that that involved isolating a skill and, and practising that skill until you kind of really, really nailed it. So I think the approach back then, or when I was when I was being coached, it was more like a fitness type of thing. Um, go up in the club, get physically fit, and you learn your skills by watching the other boxers in the club, by the sparring that you have, and by the bouts that you have. And I think that's that's probably also reflected in the fact that they were really eager. They were really eager to get people boxing, so they boxed. We boxed all the time. I mean. I had my first bout. I had my first bout in um, February of the the 1994-95 oh, the, the, the season. Um, three days later, I had my second bout. Four days later, I had my second bout. And by the close of that season, I'd already had six bouts. So there was a lot of emphasis on getting lots and lots of content. Really seem to take into the gym any skills, practices, or any any drills that were going to improve the things that going to improve the things that I lacked in the contest or develop the things that I showed through really the well in the contest. So, so do
0: you feel that? So do you feel that environment has kind of really affected what you do for for better or for worse now?
1: I think for better because I could. what we needed at the time but I wish I had this perspective on my boxing at the time you know I wish we could have looked at things this way or that way so um, I think in those early days of coaching I was pretty much about making sure that you're teach the basics teach stance teach guard teach the jab teach the backhand uh, maybe, maybe even some bent arm punches but then the rest of what's going to determine your success in your first five to ten bouts is likely going to be your physical preparation and how ready you are to outwork your opponent. Are you faster? Are you stronger? Have you got better cardiovascular fitness? Are you going to kind of punch your way through to the final bell? And that's going to be the the determining factor. And I think in some, some ways, there's probably quite a lot of truth in that. You'll know that the nerves that hit you, the nerves that hit you in those first few bouts, you know, as soon as, as soon as, as soon as you get past that first round, you become fatigued, and a lot of the skill level goes out the window. And it's really who's got who's got the tools left to keep to keep working through to the final bell. Um, so I think I used to take that that kind of approach to it. Um, the more time I spent spent kind of coaching with Carl, um, and bringing younger boxers through and, and starting to work with them as they became more experienced, started to kind of realise the importance of technique and actually really nailing down those techniques. And I would say now, I probably look at it more as sort of a 30-30 split between um, being physically prepared for the environment, so being fit enough to, to and strong enough to box your way through the contest having solid skills and solid techniques but also being able to adapt your strategy i think a lot of people leave it that kind of strategy and they think that if you're you know if you're fit enough and you're you know your your, your basic technique is good enough then you're going to come through every bout but you'll know as well as i do if you can out hustle if you can if you can make the boxer box.
0: Absolutely. And especially the more experience you get, you know, you, you can get kids who are super fit, super strong, super quick, who end up winning the first five bouts, six bouts, whatever it might be, purely on that, those physical traits. Uh, but then you start having to match them against uh, opponents who, who have twice as many bouts, maybe, you know, 50-50 results. But they come a bit unstuck there because these kids have a better skill set. And as you mentioned, they do actually um, have the ability to adapt and work out styles. And I think that's something that um, a lot of the top people do do come about. So, so, so how do you how do you create a boxer then who is able to adapt? Well,
1: that that's as I said, we we face a we we put quite a lot of emphasis on that on on what our boxers to be able to think for themselves and and not not go out there and say, well, this this boxer is they're a lot sharper than me, or he just keeps coming, he just keeps punching, he's so fit, I can't win that. Kind of general. I think with with your your novice and and kind of beginner boxers, it's very very. Important. and address the issues you know think for yourself and of course we don't just say plan your own training sessions and then do it what we'll do is we'll confront the boxers at the start of the session we'll talk the sessions through with them we'll ask them to share it with the group so if you like we sometimes have I would say what's more we have an hour and a half to two hour squad session. when I say squad these are this is the one session that we put aside or our boxers that are already carded or about to be carded, mm-hmm. we, we expect.
0: So, so have you got an example of one of the boxers, perhaps within your club, about how you actually work with them to be autonomous and, and how you sort of grow them and develop them in their amateur career? it's
1: it's quite. A, I think it could be quite a tricky thing because you know what you don't want to do is you don't want to just send hand over to the boxers and say, right, you know, you're a 20, 30 thirty pound boxer now, you should be planning your own sessions should mm-hmm. be doing this all on your own. What we want to do is to value the feedback from the coaches um, and, and value coach interaction. Um, and we also want our boxer to box it to instructions when it's appropriate. But what you don't want to do is create a boxer which is completely dependent on the coach. So if they go out there in the first round, they have to wait until the end of that first round before they come back and get some coach instruction. We want our That's boxers it. to be able to go out there, box the first 30 seconds and say to themselves, what I'm doing here isn't working, so I need to change my approach. We do an awful lot of work where we'll, we'll ask boxers to think about uh, this is what your opponent boxes like, or this is who your opponent is. How are you going to change what you normally do to accommodate that? So. Uh, one of the classic ones that they always come up to, to us is, oh, unboxing a, a short, compact boxer who's coming forward. How am I going to box against this opponent? That's a, a pretty kind of fallback one that they always use. But we'll often, we'll, often, we'll, we'll use lots and lots of different examples. We we'll say, you know, your boxers taking centre of the ring, but they're not really working. Or we'll say you've got a boxer who's just Try, just trying to rush you all the time, and just running forwards with their hands down. How are you going to? How are you going to compete against it? So we'll kind of ask them to think of these strategies and to develop their own system for boxing against them. And then we might the following round. We might say, "Right, that's changed now. This has happened, and you're going to have to adapt to this new situation." Um, so we do with all those kinds of things, and, and, and particularly with our squad session on a Tuesday. We'll actually ask um, them to kind of plan. Sometimes they come and they plan their whole session. So we'll sit down with them beforehand. We'll talk to them about what this session's going to include, what drills they've got. We'll say, look, needs to have a warm-up element. It's got to have a skills practice element at the start. You've then got to have your strategy-based approach. So what are you going to do in the session that's going to help you develop your strategic approach to this element of your boxing and then we'll say we need you to put in a fitness element as well that's going to help you address a weak area of your fitness. Uh, we've got a we've got a female boxer who's a very smart girl. She she's actually a grammar school student. I I have the pleasure of teaching her as a, a student at school as well. Um, she's been a very successful uh, boxer for us, female boxer. She's won ten out of twelve bouts. Um, she's very, very good being autonomous in her approach, planning her settings that well. In fact, actually, you might find this as well, Adam, because I know you've been very successful with your female boxers in your club too, but I often find them to be better learners in terms of asking for and accepting feedback and putting that feedback into practice. Um, is thats that... Is that you find that? Yeah, um,
0: oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's hard to to sort of uh, to blanket it, but generally, you do find a lot of uh, more sort of task orientated. You know, that it's all about the that kind of the intrinsic rewards that they can get from it. So they want to learn the skill, develop the skill for the sake of learning the skill rather than, well, if I learn the skill, that make me look great to my friends, you know, that extrinsic sort of outsourcing of, 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 uh, of feedback and outsourcing their identity elsewhere. So I think, um, yeah, I, I've had a few exceptions to the rule, but mainly I do find it quite uh, um, more rewarding that they take the skills up when they've been told because they, they, they have that trust in you and they know that it's going to kind of feed into their ability to learn the skill and for no other reason.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I sometimes, find even coaching, because I, I, because both my young kids box and go to beginner sessions, uh, even when I, I, I'll coach the young boys in a box and I'll, I'll take them on pads and, and I'll give them little tips and little bits of advice and then at the end of it, I'll say to them what do you need to work on?
0: And i I'll get blank
1: faces and they, they, they'll say, oh, I, I don't know, what do I need to work on? i say, but I've been telling you this and I've just told you this. But then sometimes when you take the female boxers, you tell them these things, and you ask the question, "What what do I need to work on?" Say, "I need to do this. I need to do that. What else can I do? Or how is this? You know, should I do this or should I do that?" I just find them a bit more. There's got a few more questions, and they, you know, I think they. I I, I I'm not saying that you know the male boxers are badly in that We just tend to find that sometimes the females just absorb the information that a little.
0: Sure. Well, I, I think a lot of the times, um, with anyone who's learning, it's really important for them to understand why they're learning, you know, what their motivations are, what they're gonna get out of it, you know, start with the why type thing. And I think a, a lot of female boxers do often start with the why why have I got to learn the jab. Whereas um, you know, some chaps um uh, will want to know the what, what do I have to do and how do I have to do it. Yeah. But what's without the, really the, con- the what, 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 what what the context or that's or. right,
1: that's right. Yeah, I don't agree with you completely. It's interesting, yeah. to, It's in, what we get an awful lot of, although we're very fortunate again to have our own premises and to be able to run a, a squad only session, it's interesting running sessions that have, I mean I don't, I, I don't know the sort of numbers you get through the door uh, um, in, in Eastbourne, but we have two coaches on the gym floor at any one time. We're lucky if we, if we have. there are three main coaches in the gym, and we're lucky if we have night we can have we can have thirty plus, sometimes as many as forty boxers on the gym floor. And so, whilst ten to fifteen of those might be our squad, our carded boxers, that's still the overwhelming majority of boxers which are not ranging from boxers who are in their very, very first session. always go back to their own, you know, their preferred partners, and we'll say, right, we want you to teach them, we want you to teach your partner a skill, it might be something on pads, it might be a defense, We sometimes we're a bit more prescriptive about it, sometimes we're a little less prescriptive, and we'll, it doesn't matter, usually what you end up with there is you've normally got the more experienced boxers working, the more experienced boxers, and then we say, right, we want you to swap, we want you to go with that person, you to go with that person, you to go with that person. But something In that kind of circumstance, what we always encourage them to do is to make sure that the round or the teaching session that takes place is followed by some feedback. So in school, I would call this sort of thing the praise bugger, where you feel like, you've, you know, they teach them the skill or the element or whatever it is they're trying to deliver. And we say, you've done this, you've done this especially well, but you need to work on this a little bit more. But overall, this part went really well, and I'd say if you're a, if you're an experienced boxer and you're coaching somebody that's less experienced, then you should be able to do that. You should be able to deliver the praise burger or the shit sandwich, as they sometimes call it. Um, but even if you're a less ex- so, what what tends to happen with that is you you once you swap around a little bit, you will eventually get somebody who's Quite new to the gym, and they're actually trying to deliver something or teach something to a more experienced boxer. And we say, Look, if you haven't got the element that's I need you to work on this.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, so what I'm sort of hearing is that you're you creating an environment where they are able to self-regulate. They're able to sort of tap into their own feelings, like you mentioned about how does that feel? I'm not quite sure. So they can be autonomous and make little changes there. They're also using their their aspiring partners or people that they're working in pairs to peer feedback to each other uh, and giving them the opportunity to actually coach and teach. Which is a real powerful way of actually reinforcing your own learning and developing your own learning, um, but not. But obviously, coach is always there if he needs to, but mainly your job is to set the environment rather than to quickly jump in all the time.
1: That's right, and, and you know we, we constantly ask our boxers to be reflective on on their own performance. You know, we could do a, a drill like that where everybody in the, the the gym is working on more or less the same practice, and we could just. At any moment, we could just stop and we could say to the boxer, right, tell me something you did really well in that last round. So it, it, it's always asking them to kind of be quite self reflective of themselves, to be self reflective of the partner they're working beside. Um, yeah, so that they can ultimately value the feedback from coaches when it's given and listen to what coaches are saying, but they can also assess the situation for themselves, you know, sure. most of the time.
0: Which is very reflective of what needs to happen in a boxing bout. Anyway, you're under pressure; you need to be able to make those decisions under pressure in any yeah. one moment, and not rely on the coach. When um, you, what What about when, this case? So, so with uh, sorry, go ahead. If you've you got a point to add to that, yeah. When,
1: when you were saying to me about uh, particular examples of, of, I mean, we have many boxers that do this really well, and watching them actually put it. Show he's uh, he's a welterweight. He's um, just he's just he's a, he's a lad. He's a, he's a junior, you know. Um, but he's, he's six foot two. So he's you can six foot two. Welterweight. He prefers to stand, back, uh moves around the ring a little bit. Doesn't quite. bother Strong-looking limbs, so he stepped on the scales, and of course he was 65 kilos. This was our this was our boy's opponent, and I, and I went back to the stand and I just said, look, he's tall, he's really tall. You just you're not gonna get away with standing outside and and you know boxing off the jab. I said he's gonna reach it. If he comes forward, you know he, he, you're not gonna be able to box him from the from the side jab and move. He's gonna He's going to pick you off at him, so you're going to have to adapt. So after a really difficult first round, I think what what some boxers possibly would have done there is said, look, I, I can't beat this, I can't beat this boxer in my style of boxing. So he had to re. We gave him the advice, but actually what we've seen him do was he worked out his strategy for himself. He knew what he had to do to turn that back around. And, and, and you know, he, he tucked up his gloves, he tucked put his chin down, he went on the front foot and he pushed them up corner to corner to corner and he won the bout. And and that was like one of the you know, I've seen lots of examples of our boxers turn it around, but that was a that was a real classic example of watching the the boxer think for themselves and be able to address the issues and adapt their strategy to grind out the performance that they want.
0: Sure, and, and and then it's it's validating that approach straight away, isn't it? Once you've seen it, it's working, it's validating it straight away, and, and knowing that when coaches telling me you need to think for yourself, strategize, think about what you're going to be doing in the session, that it is paying dividends and, and highlighting that as well. Well, um, final question for you, case. Um, you know, you've you mentioned that you have uh, a few coaches, not not massive. You know, a lot of cl- clubs, including my own, you know, have that problem. You don't have that many coaches. You know, being volunteers and whatnot. But um, if you have this approach where you're very sort of autonomy, support uh, orientated, you know, you want them to think to so yourself, but then you have a coach who is um, who's very much directive, very much militant, very tell. Um, how would you get around that? I'm not saying that's something in your gyms. It sounds like it's not. But how would you get around um, someone who's very not buying into that, um, that uh, approach to coaching? Um, well, I, I'm... not that is not that is wrong, of course. You know, there there are times to tell and and to be directed But how would you, you know? Sometimes, if you're pulling the boxes apart, because one coach is telling them something completely different, and the other person is letting them letting them sort of guide their own way. How would you go about yeah, that?
1: Yeah, I, I, I think as as a teacher, it's very nice to be able to reflect on these different different teaching styles and be able to say, well, you know, th- th- this works well in this kind of situation, and that works well in that kind of situation. Um, I think what I'd probably do is I'd take it more from a kind of question perspective and I, I would ask, we have regular coaches meetings, we have a coaches chat, which we, there's there's probably not a day goes by where there is isn't 20 messages in there about who we, what we're doing, who we need to support and what's happening in the club. Um, and then we have probably three to four coaches meetings a season to discuss what's happening in the gym and championships and who's getting in. And not getting and who need support with things so we, we've, we're quite we're quite social as a team and we're quite open to discuss what's happening in the club um, I think if we're the coach who was you know not kind of following suit we would probably uh, pose a few questions to them more about you know um, the, the this particular strategy and your coaching. who when do you think this is work in and if it was this type of situation, do you think your approach would be the best approach, or do you think you might want to adapt it into to something a little bit more? Um, I think as well, because our because our boxers are kind of used to uh, the, the, and this is one of my favourite quotes that I say to boxers from very very early, is that you know as you navigate your way through your career, you you're you're gonna hear a lot of advice from lots of different people, lots of different coaches. Boxing is one of those sports, I'm sure you'll agree with this, where um, because people have watched all of the old Tyson reruns, they're a boxing expert. So they they mm-hmm. watch a boxing match and they'll quite happily advise a one bout kid on what they need to do, and they, you know they'll quite happily stand there and talk to them sincerely about you need to do this and you need to do that, forgetting the fact that they've got no actual experience in an amateur boxing ring, they've got no coaching qualification behind them backing these things up, but they'll still happily lend their advice to the boxer. So what I often say there to boxers very early, usually before they box any competition, is that whether you're in the sport for a year, whether you're in the sport for 30 years, you're always going to come across people that tell you one thing, that doesn't match up with what somebody else has told you. And I say some you know, you might listen to some of the stuff I say and five, six years down the line you might you might hear differently and think differently. But the 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 the, the idea is to try and cherry pick out the best for yourself that you know work for you and that are important for you. Um, whilst, whilst obviously trying not to get yourself too confused with it all. Um, if if we had coaches and we could see things were blatantly being thought wrong or not in agreement with our our kind of coaching strategy. Again, I think with all the coaches meeting, we'd be nice enough in approaching it and saying, you know, you might want to try something a little bit different. How about we hand over to you for this beginner session? How about we hand over to you and you take this group of more experienced boxers and try this type of approach to them? Um, without, be, again, being too directed, this is our club and this is how we do things. That's certainly not the approach we want to take, but we would, you know, some kind of gentle persuasion about what we think works and why we think it works. And I'd ask coach to be reflective of their own practices as well. You know, you know, it, is that coaching style working for you? Are the boxers you're coaching, is the advice you're given them, is it helping them progress in the way that you want? If not, then maybe
0: you readdress some of your strategies. Sure. And and that I think that only comes from having good communication with the boxers, you know, kind of a 360. You know, that if it's not working for them, they need to speak up. Um, if you're noticing you're not getting the results, you need to reflect on that yourself. If you're not reflecting as a coach, why should a boxer reflect as a boxer? So you're kind of almost role-modelling that as well. Yeah, uh, I'd, I'd have uh, to say we're, we're, we're
1: very fortunate at our gym in that. You know, we, we have a lot of we have a lot of parents inside. Um, our, most of our committee members are the parents of boxers. Most of the mm-hmm. people that are willing to support the club in some way or another uh, have have a link to, to the club through their through their um, through their, their kids. And there's a kind of real good social element. You know, the the the, the, the boxers certainly do respect the coaches. Um, I can't say that they listen intently and hang on every single word I say, every word Carl says, every word Charlie says. Charlie's a, our other main coach. Um, mm-hmm. but, but hopefully, by the time they reach a point where they're 10, 15 bouts into their career, they're already starting to pick up on the, the, which, which which advice works for them, which which advice they think is fair that probably isn't the best the best
0: route for them to follow you know sure so they bit that you know you're teaching them to be critical thinkers and, and really and, and to pick the best cherry from the tree at that time yeah exactly perfect okay case okay. so, um thanks very much mate really appreciate your time um there's, there's been some great little um takeaways from me which i've made some notes which I'll, I'll do a quick reflection of uh very very shortly once you're once you've gone um but um yeah thanks for your time mate and um Hopefully, hopefully the gyms are opening very, very soon. I mean, it's it's mid-June now, 2020, and I'm hoping we'll be back in action in, in at least a couple of months. And, uh, um, yeah, let's keep in touch and you know, good luck for the forthcoming season whenever that starts, mate. Thanks,
1: mate. I'd much rather see you at a show than on a Zoom call, I tell you that much.
0: Yeah, yeah, I hear you, mate. I hear you. <laughs> All right, mate. All the best, yeah. And Thanks again for your time.
1: Cheers, buddy. I'll see you later. Cheers, guys. Bye, bye mate. Bye.
0: So thanks very much to Casey Steeks-Nachman uh, from Colchester ABC for uh, the great insight to what he does in his gym there and working with his coaches and his boxers. Um, a few takeaways that I've taken from that is that um, you know they, they have the same sort of issues a lot of clubs do, lots of boxers, but um, not so many coaches. So um, the, the approach they're taking is to make sure their boxers are very, very autonomous um, because those ratios aren't so high like they are in my gym, for example, and many others. So they actually want boxers who be able to uh, think for themselves, be very self-regulating. Um, so one thing that they do is they, they plan the sessions or encourage boxers who do who are a little bit more experienced to plan or semi-plan their sessions with support, of course, um, and therefore they take a little bit more ownership of what they're doing and are and very critical and what they're doing um, they also self-reflect under pressure so when they're sparring they're, they're, they have certain scenarios created within their sparring where they might spar a certain person or um, of a certain style and then someone else comes in a little bit like shark tanking and things like that so they have to um, really change what they're doing and self-reflect under pressure um, there's always also good questioning but also that the fact that they when they might be questioned that they have to actually show them the answer to the coaches which is great and they kind of close that circle by reviewing it as well so they'll review it with a coach or they'll do a lot of peer reviewing uh, in the moment as well so which is a great tool for good self-awareness and having a deeper understanding of what they're actually doing so you close that circle up back to planning so plan do review uh, very simple model um, but very very effective um so yeah i like the way that they've uh, put things in place there to, to have self-regulating boxes who are cognitively behaviorally and emotionally sound so um so it's great to hear that from from the guys there so uh, anything that you've taken from this guys you know please pop it on the social media pages on instagram uh, on twitter or on facebook look forward to hearing from you and again thanks to casey and have a great week guys speak to you all soon cheers Bye bye
1: If you liked this podcast, similar content and discussions can be found at the Box Gathering. The Box Gathering is a social initiative born out of the ashes of the first lockdown in March 2020. We provide a platform where coaches, boxers, officials and boxing enthusiasts can join together online to discuss various boxing topics. It's free to join and upgrade options offer unlimited access to all our live gatherings, campfire videos, and coaching resources. Join today at www.theboxgathering.co.uk.